thank you for joining us today for the Fair Loss of You podcast. We're going to be talking about everything related to fair trade fashion, including sustainability, ethics, human trafficking, our artisans, and keeping kids in school. My name is Jackie Costello, and I own the Golden Rule Boutique, an all fair trade boutique based in San Diego. My co-host is Jen Parlin, and she is a fair trade partner with Threads Worldwide based in Connecticut. Thanks for joining us for episode six of the Philosophy podcast. Today we are chatting with Lucia Roof from Malia Designs, a fair trade accessories company that works with high risk women in Cambodia. We were excited to learn more about the company and all the impact that they are creating. Enjoy. Right. We're so excited to have you on the podcast today, right here in the Golden Rule. Thanks, um, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Um, my name is Lucia Ruth, and I am the creative and marketing director at Malia Designs. Very cool. How about a little more about yourself? Like, just <laughs> like, I mean, just, just about you, not necessarily your role. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I am... Um, live in San Diego. I've lived here for about almost 20 years now. Originally from um, the Midwest, I actually have a background in um, corporate marketing and sales. And yeah, I'm married. I have a dog and two little foster mutts. Um, And yeah, I've been working with uh, Malia Designs for almost, uh, for around eight years now. Great. Well, thanks for sharing. I'm also a dog mom as well, so can relate (laughs) there. Um, And I love just hearing how people end up in different places, but I feel like almost everyone I know is living in a different state now and they got there, you know, for different avenues or whatever. Um, But how did you start with Malia Designs? How did that all begin? So yeah, I'll actually start um, a little bit with how Malia got started because I actually was not um, there from the very beginning, but a really um, dear friend of mine who's my business partner today, uh, Leah Valerio is the founder and she had um, traveled to Cambodia um, in 2000 after a stint in the Peace Corps, um, and that was her first experience in that part of the world. Um, She was really moved by the people that she met there, but also um, became aware of the issue of human trafficking at that time. Um, She actually went on to grad school, and then in 2005, um, started Malia Designs with another good friend of hers who had also uh, more recently traveled um, to that part, you know, to Cambodia and also had an amazing experience there. And they just thought that, um, you know, why uh, one of the ways that they could impact um, the lives of, you know, some of those people that they met was to start importing um, from that region. So very cool. Yeah, there's so many topics that we want to ask you about, you know, related to this work. And what is your favorite part of Malia Designs? Yeah, I mean, I my favorite part is um, definitely, like, the creative aspects of my job. I get to work with a lot of different people um, and just do a lot of different things creatively from a design perspective. Um, it's probably, like... And working with the women there is definitely um, what I enjoy the most. And then also um, 
you know, the people that I've met, like, in the fair trade, sustainable, ethical fashion world here um, is just another, like, huge, always, like, a huge, um, like, when I a huge booster to, like, my own motivation, yeah. Yeah, and then I actually got involved um, with the brand uh, with Malia in 2011. I um, started doing a few trunk shows out here in San Diego. I had always um, really admired what Leah was doing. Um, I didn't know, like, very much about fair trade um, at all, but I um, had decided after... um, 10 years in my corporate job that I was ready for a change. And yeah, so I just started on a really like part-time basis working for the brand. And then um, I took um, over like doing the website and some of the marketing things that I was also taking classes for at the same time along while working, um, you know, a part-time contract job and then slowly, um, became more, I just loved what I was doing with Malia so much over time. I became, more involved, and now, um, yeah, and now Leah and I are partners, and we, um, she's in Chicago, I'm here, we now run all the operations um, from here in San Diego, so. So cool. Um, So, you mentioned that you get to work directly with the women, so I was just wondering, how often do you get to go to Cambodia? So, we typically go once a year um, for a design trip where we do... um, you know, all of our sampling, like we look for different materials that we could possibly work with. And then, um, yeah, we visit all of the, um, the artisans that we work with. We visit the workshops. We talk to them about um, what projects they have ongoing, what their current needs are. Um, yeah, so it's really cool to be, like, that is, like, another, like, what's the best part is about <laughs> being able to travel to Cambodia for totally. sure. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the coolest part. <laughs> um, we love that you use recycled feed bags and cement bags. I, I love your products. We carry them here at the Golden Rule. But what other ways are you thinking about um, being sustainable in your practices? So, yeah, um, like the, the um, product that we create, a lot of it is dictated um, by the materials that we use. And those are all... Um, pretty sustainable, like you mentioned, the um, recycled bags. And then we also work with either um, a lot of dead stock or leftover fabric from the garment factories in Cambodia. Um, Just working in, um, like, the fair trade process itself is much more sustainable than having things that are done um, in a factory because the process is slower. Um, There's... um, our, one of our um, artisan groups is really um, focused on um, sustainability. They have a workshop um, that's in a more remote um, village in Cambodia. So they've also gone forward um, with planting like a whole organic um, garden there. Um, so we get a lot of like our sustainability um, inspiration from them. And then here on this side, um, just kind of the, you know, like some of the more like average things that you do is, you know, working on recycling. Um, try to, we're like, like um, our product requires very minimal packaging. So, um, you know, we're able to kind of reuse some of the materials um, uh, from, you know, when the products are shipped to us from artisans. So, yeah. 
So cool. I love hearing about all of that. When um, you mentioned that you work with dead stock from other factories, that's similar to then what Tonelay is doing, right? In some ways, like Tonelay has a whole, they kind of take it, I would definitely say, like to the next level on um, the sustainability and zero waste. And they're actually producing new fabrics um, from fabric scraps, which is not something um, we do. But yeah, for some of their products, they are shopping like this like remnant fabric. Um, and that's some, that's similar to um, the fabric that we source um, in the local markets in Cambodia. So cool. How do you build that relationship to get dead stock from other factories? And that is through um, our artisan um, partners on the ground in Cambodia. So, um, yeah, they have the relationships with several um, vendors that they work with um, on a consistent basis. And so, um, yeah, they will take us like to these marketplaces to shop for the fabric. Um, your website mentions that you assist with anti-human trafficking. So we were just wondering how are you doing that and how are, how are you involved with that? Yeah, so the, um, the fighting human trafficking um, portion of our social mission, um, primarily we have donated two organizations, um, both in the U.S. and Cambodia. And there's one, we have one long-term um, benefactor of this giving in Cambodia. It's uh, Their name is Damnok Tuk. They're a completely um, Cambodian-run organization, and they specifically work, um, they have a lot of programs that work with children, uh, marginalized children in several different Cambodian communities. Um, and so it's been... Um, yeah, it's been really rewarding to partner with them over the years. Um, and then also we donate to have donated to various organizations in the U.S. that are working to fight human trafficking. So, yeah. Just as a side note with that, how do you figure out which companies are doing what they say they're doing and, and, and things like that? Yeah, um, and that vetting, like, for... Um, the organization that we work with, Cambodia, was done um, in the very beginning. And we continue, like, when we are there, um, we also visit them um, and talk to them each time that we're in Cambodia. So it's kind of one of those things where boots on the ground, where we have visited the facilities that they're working with. Um, they are, like, a very um, reputable organization and have received, um, you know, a couple of really cool international awards and their programs have been um, kind of modeled by other organizations throughout the world. But it's definitely somewhere, something where you, um, like, it's pretty important, I think, in the beginning vetting process to, like, have boots on the ground and checking out um, the kind of work that the people that you want to support are doing, for sure. Totally. Um. Do you personally know women or artisans directly that are survivors of human trafficking, and they do, do they work with Malia Designs? So in the beginning, we worked with a pretty um, well-known international organization called Hagar International, and that um, and they had a cut and sew program as um, part of providing employment to um, women that were survivors of trafficking. Um, they actually shuttered that just they're still doing like amazing work in Cambodia and Vietnam. They just don't have the cut and sew program anymore. And um, at that time, we shifted production to um, 
another group that also worked with um, survivors, but then the kind of the sa- a similar thing happened um, with them where they just decided not to do the cut and sew program anymore. So at this time, like the groups that we work with do not like specifically um, employ survivors of trafficking. They um, primarily, um, a lot of the artisans that work um, in Cambodia are disabled. They've, um, a lot of them are polio survivors, actually, or they have been injured due to landmines in Cambodia. So now, um, yeah, it's just providing the fair trade employment for these um, marginalized folks in Cambodia. Right. And it's still providing them another opportunity so they're not getting sucked into the trade. So it's it's still all tied together, right? Totally. It's still a very vulnerable population. Exactly. Um, um, do you have a favorite artisan story? Um, yeah, there are a lot of different artisan stories. Um, well, on this recent trip um, to Cambodia, I met, um, it was actually a couple, um, and they are both, um, they are both um, polio survivors, and um, they work for um, our artisan group that does our, like, upcycled, we were talking about the dead stock canvas, that line, and they had, um, yeah, they had met at the workshop, and then um, they were telling me, like, prior to working there, um, that, you know, they, um, that they really didn't leave the house much, they lived with their parents, and then they, you know, so then they went from, um, having, you know, this job that not only, like, was, they were able to support themselves, um, they were also, like, able to live independently, and then, um, you know, they met, and, like, now they're married, so it's just really cool, like, you, there's the, um, of course, there is the financial impact that comes with having a stable income, how that can impact somebody's life, but then it was also a reminder of, um, like the um, stigma that people with disabilities face, like not just in Cambodia, but here in that like they are able to have a sense of um, self-worth and community. That's just really cool to see, to see that like happen kind of in front of your, you know, in front of your eyes and to know that like we have a part of part in that. So, yeah. I love that. Yeah. Community is, is um, such a, powerful thing, you know? So being able to see that come together is amazing. Great. This is actually this quote that um, I was looking at your website. Uh, we believe that one way to counteract this global issue is to increase access to economic opportunity in the most affected areas. Kind of think this goes along with what you were saying. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Um, yeah, I mean, the whole, um, it kind of, like, speaks to, like, the whole fair trade business model, um, is that, like, we, um, are true partners with the organizations that we work with in Cambodia. Um, you know, a lot of fair trade brands are set up, like, everyone may be set up, like, a bit differently, but, um, yeah, now, especially at this point in time where, um, we've been working, you know, with the same, um, the same groups for over a decade that what we've seen is that ability to like be a long-term partner um is key to like our sustainability um and longevity and like they're only successful if we're successful and we're only successful if they are successful so yeah and then um just you know the um 
stark contrast um, in being in Cambodia and, you know, getting a glimpse of, like, what life is like for somebody that works, like, in a garment factory versus somebody that works um, for one of the artisan groups um, that we work has with has also been, you know, very eye-opening, too. Mm. We really wanted to ask you more about, you know, the groups that you work with, but, I mean, you've talked about it a lot. Is there, how many groups are you working with right now in Cambodia? Yeah, we currently work with three uh, different groups in Cambodia. Okay, perfect. Do you know about how many artisans, you know, they each work with, or does it fluctuate, you know, throughout the year? Yeah, it does fluctuate. Um, so I think in total, probably around like between 120 to 130 artisans. And then like some of our um, uh, groups also um, work with like weavers that are, um, you know, in a... Um, in a remote province in Cambodia, um, providing employment to them. Um, so it's like kind of as you branch out, there's even more people that are affected, that, that are employed um, or impacted by, um, yeah, by um, fair trade. Yeah. And, you know, the whole, the whole point of what we're doing is to, you know, grow our companies that we're involved with so that we have to place bigger orders and then, They'll have to employ more artisans, and I just, I just love that whole piece um, of the connected, the connectedness of it all. <laughs> um, so you mentioned the trunk show um, aspect of the business, and I, when I saw that on the website, I was really, um, I was really interested in hearing more about how that started and. Um, is that still a big part of your business model today? Yeah. Um, I'd say, honestly, it's not a really big part of our business model today, um, but it is something that we do offer to individuals and organizations. And primarily, um, we work... Um, we currently, you know, around the holiday season, we'll work with folks that in their faith community, in their church, will want to have, um, you know, a trunk, sh- a trunk show. And so we do a profit um, split with them and we have, um, you know, kind of an inventory package put together where they can just, um, it's more of like a one-off event. So, you know, we kind of give them the inventory, the marketing materials, they have the event, and then... Um, we do a profit split with them so they can, um, a lot of times they'll be fundraising for like a local organization, um, you know, or their faith community. Um, and that works out well for us and we can, um, we can do that, um, because our, we're, our, we're primarily wholesale. Like we, um, so it's an easy thing for us to be able to do an offer. And we actually have had, um, like one individual like several years ago that did tons of like street fairs and events and pop-ups and then did that um all these scenes that was like our you know number one customer for that year um so but it's yeah it's something that we offer but it's not a huge part of our um of our business right now so it's a cool way to um spread the word and and everything else like if if you don't know Jen um is a fair trade partner with Threads Worldwide so she um, does showcases in people's houses, and we always talk about how fun it is to gather women together and and um, this 
such a, a fun piece of it, you know, so. Yeah, I definitely think it's like a cool way to um, build community. And then you never know, like um, we could, you know, somebody could have an event and they could, you know, not sell very much. But somebody at that event could contact us six months later and have an event and like, you know, have it go crazy or it's just a way for it to spread. I totally I, I love that part. And actually, we're going to have um, a trunk show here in October. Um, we haven't scheduled the date yet. Yeah, but, we got to um, figure out the we're date. We're going to talk about <laughs> just again spread the word about fair trade and um, gather women together, which I love. Um, but Jen and I got to spend some time in Bali, and we were visiting our artisans um, from Threads Worldwide there, and we loved hearing about the microloans that they were providing to their artisans. Can you tell us about the grants and loans um, that you guys provide to your artisan groups? Sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, this typically works um, in one of two ways. Like um, we'll be approached and um, one of our artisan groups will want like a smaller um, amount. You know, they'll be like, hey, we need to, you know, buy these five sewing machines or 10 sewing machines. And for those smaller amounts, um, you know, typically uh, we do a grant to them um, where we just grant them money. Um in some instances, um, like our one of our artisan groups several years ago, they opened a whole new workshop, um, and so they needed funding for that. Um, and they, um, the women that lead um, each of the groups are um, like very smart and astute businesswomen themselves, and so they were able to like for the larger. Um, loan, they were, um, sent us a proposal. Um, we looked at it and then what we did, um, that worked really well from a, like, uh, cash flow basis is, um, we gave them the upfront loan for the money. And then instead of us paint, instead of them, um, like transferring money back to us over a certain period of time, we just took a small, um, percentage off every, every invoice. So then for like the next like six invoices, um, you know, we paid, say, like 90% of what the invoice total was. And so it just, um, it was really cool. Like, it really worked out well for both of us from uh, a business uh, cash flow perspective. And I think that was their idea, too. And we're like, oh, yeah, this will work amazing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It seems um, the more I hear about artisan stories and, and um, like, from different companies is that the women are so creative and they're coming up with all of these business ideas and, and everything else. And I just love that. It's not, it's not like we're going in and telling them what to do. They are like, well, how about this? And it's, it's such a collaboration over, um, I almost said what threads always says collaboration over competition, but it's, it's just more, let's work together. And instead of like, one person is in charge and telling everyone what to do, you know, which would be how like a fast fashion company would be working, you know, like, like this is the set price. And, you know, like it's just so it's just a different concept than than everything else. I think fair trade, you know. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. We get so many like they have so many great ideas and um, that collaboration piece of it is definitely one of the most um, rewarding um, rewarding parts about the business. Um, very cool. Could you explain to our listeners a little bit about how fair trade is fighting gender inequality? So, yeah, I think I'm going to like maybe misremember the exact, um, 
statistic, but I think it's close to 60% or 57% of like um, World Fair Trade Organization um, businesses are women-led. Um, the three artisan groups that we work with are, are all women-led, women-owned. Um, so it's one of those um, things where I think in the um, it's really able to capitalize on um, the ingenuity of women, their skills, their resourcefulness, um, and they're able to um, be an example of leadership um, in their communities. And then that spreads throughout the community. So we have, uh, you know, some of our artisans that have been working so long with these groups are talking to other women in their community, um, you know, a about the group, kind of recruiting them. Um, and I think that that is one way, um, that leadership role, it's like right there in front of you. You can say like, oh, well, yeah, like all of these companies are led by women. Like that's, <laughs> you know, that's a great way uh, to uh, to fight gender inequality. Do Does Malia have any um, big projects or new happenings that you are looking forward to right now? Yeah, so right now we are in... Um, like the portion of um, our like design cycle where um, we've got um, our fall collection, our new designs for fall um, arriving in hopefully um, <laughs> a week or um, a couple weeks. And then um, so that means that we're actually um, at this point in time, like working on all of our spring designs. Um, so yeah, we do have, um, we have a new, uh, kind of a new quote-unquote line or style of bag um, that we're working on um, for spring, and we'll be getting with our fall collection those samples for the first time. And yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, it is going to – it's um, also using the dead stock fabric, um, but just a different, like, um, look to those products than our current um, screen-printed uh, collection. So, yeah, we'll see how those samples look. Awesome. <laughs> so, real quick um, – the dead stock samples or, or pieces that you are talking to, are the, do you know what type of fabrics they are? I mean, are they organic cotton or is we, it kind of like um, you never know? Yeah. So sometimes uh, we don't, they're not organic. Um, typically, um, they're not organic cotton. It's a lot of times um, the cotton canvas that is used to make pants. So sometimes they're denim and will actually turn the fabric inside out. A lot of times it's... Um, the fabric that is used to make, yeah, like men's pants sometimes, because we'll, we'll still see the Dockers stickers on the fabric. <laughs> so we know kind of that's where it came from. But there's really no, um, and there's a test, um, like a little trick, like um, a thread test that you can do with a lighter to say if the um, threads melt, then they're primarily synthetic. If they like catch on fire, then it's more um, natural fibers, um, but it is a little bit of a mystery as to like what the um, or origination of some of those fabrics are for sure. Um, so, I mean, we've been talking about fair trade this entire time, but uh, I like to ask people, we like to ask people what your you know, personal definition of fair trade is and you know, why it's meaningful to you. Yeah, I think of um, my personal definition of fair trade as being like an alternative business model that has like all of these different principles um, supporting it. Um, that is a way of doing business um, 
doing capitalism that is much more equitable um, than the standard way. And um, yeah, it's um, it's meaningful to me. Um, you know, part of it is because I have have this wonderful opportunity. You know, I've had these wonderful opportunities to see firsthand like how. Um, fair trade businesses can impact people's lives. Um, but then I think it's also important from um, like a broader um, social justice perspective where it's very, um, it was very eye-opening to like realize that, um, you know, people across um, the world are exploited for Western consumerism and to like even have a small part in changing that, doing business in a different way, um, I think is um, powerful. And I think it's powerful when people realize that they're, um, you know, like that their liberation is tied up uh, with that of others. It can be a real, um, yeah, it just can be a really powerful movement, especially uh, when I look at other, you know, like other fair trade brands and the things that they've done. Thanks so much for sharing. I love hearing what people have to say because it's it's the same, but it's so different in the way that people share, you know, how it's meaningful to them. Uh, a next question that we love to ask our guests are, you know, do you have any tips for our listeners to be uh, more conscious shoppers on how to be more conscious shoppers, I should say? Um. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, um, it's cool. I know I'm like well into the like, um, fair trade and ethical fashion bubble. Um, but that there are a lot of different resources out there, um, for being more conscious. Um, like you are all like creating this content with, um, the podcast. There are several, um, and blogs of and Facebook groups for finding um, ethical, um, you know, and sustainable businesses. And then also, like, that portion of it, like, there's also that community there. Um, I think, um, you know, shopping, I know a lot, um, shopping secondhand and some of the online resources um, that are... Um, or online sites, um, you know, I think Poshmark is one that I've used or another good sustainable option. I think also, like, it's a journey for everybody to start when you're, like, ha- want to change your um, shopping. And it was something that, like, I was involved with Malia for quite some time before I took, like, bigger steps on that journey. Um, so I think there's also, like, the idea of, like, giving yourself a little grace for where you are and not being overwhelmed. Um, and just, yeah, like even thinking about like those choices, um, cause everyone is at a different, um, point, point place in their lives. They have, you know, different socioeconomic, um, statuses that can make things, um, you know, that can make things harder for some folks. So realizing that like, if you're just starting out on this journey to give yourself a little grace and know that it's like, it is a journey. <laughs> totally. You know, we're not asking everybody to flip the switch and do it 100%. You know, it's, it's, it takes time. It's not, you know, the easiest to change all of our habits at once. Yeah. I think shopping secondhand though is 
definitely from an economical standpoint, something that I found that, man, I've saved so much money the last couple of years because I used to be a fast fashion junkie, really. I would go to the mall and just be so excited that I found all these great deals and yes, I got this dress for, you know, $10, $15. And I didn't think about it at all. And now that I don't do that and I go secondhand first, that's the first place I go besides my favorite uh, fair trade brands, of course, um, <laughs> save so much money. So I feel like that's a really good option for people that, you know, just want to spend less, but also want to do, you know, they want to make more conscious decisions um, in that area. So, yeah, my sister actually sent me an article saying how much um, thrift shop is coming or thrift shops are coming back and like everybody's doing it, not just, not just, you know, us the yeah. people that are thinking consciously, but a lot, a lot of people are really doing that more often, which I think is making a huge impact. Yeah, there's this total like, um, boom right now with secondhand. And yeah, I used to be like a TJ Maxx junkie. Like I would go there <laughs> and I would just like find something that was like a brand that I liked and, you know, I'd buy it super cheap and it never ended up fitting like me the way that it should. And then I only wore it a few times. And so, yeah, I think that's a, another thing that like thrift shopping, um, especially like you know, going to your local thrift stores, you know, where you're able to like get in there and try it on and kind of, um, yeah, just kind of like a shop in a more sustainable, uh, you know, more thoughtful way. And yeah, it's cheaper and you'll save money too. So <laughs> totally. Um, we were curious what business challenges you have ran into working internationally and how did you guys overcome them? So, yeah, I'm, there are definite challenges. Um, you know, to working the way that we do. Most of them have been like logistic or uh, <laughs> there's still um, sometimes uh, lost in tra translation or miscommunications <laughs> that happen. Um, that is also, um, you know, based on cultural differences. Um, and so over the years, um, yeah, it's funny to think about some of those things where um, things like perhaps ended up getting produced in like a wrong color or, uh, you know, a lot of it is um, on, you know, production deadlines and unforeseen um, things that can happen, like political unrest in the country that you're working with or just um, things getting like caught in customs. Like once... Um, like boxes were used that said like that just had like live vaccine like because they were from <laughs> something else printed on them and you know like that was like a long customs delay so it's mostly things like that and I think um <laughs> it has really taught me that there are certain things um in life that like I have absolutely no control over and um to just like let that go and you know try to have a sense of humor about things. And it's not that I still, like, don't get stressed out or I'm like, oh, I wish this would show up tomorrow. Please, please. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's really, really taught me to, like, not sweat the small <laughs> stuff, I guess. So, yeah. I love that um, you're learning lessons in it, too, you know, because so, so we kind of come back to this a lot with our interviews. Like, 
the people that we interview have a lot of self-awareness and are are using things to combat some of the either the negativity or um, just working internationally. A lot of things can go wrong. And I just I love hearing um, hearing the lessons that that we all learn, which I, I find so interesting. And speaking of which, though, the the Amazon rainforest burning down is is quite a hot, hot topic right now. And there are a lot of horrible things going on in the world. Um, I was just wondering if you had any suggestions for our listeners on how to keep fighting and not giving up when when there's a lot of tragedy going on. Yeah, I think um, this is a tough one. I mean, there have been like several points in time over the last couple of years when you um, like pick up your phone or, you know, turn on the radio and listen to the news and you're like, this is too much, you know? Um, And I think I, I don't know, for myself, like I try to like feel sad and feel like maybe a little bit of despair for a weekend um, or, you know, 24 hours, but then, um, and really feel feel that way. And then I think that I, um, whatever is going on, look to, um, the activists and the people on the ground that have been fighting like these causes for a really long time, not just for the, not just today's, um, occurrence, um, that there are, you know, people raising their voices, um, and try to, you know, get behind um, those people and support them, whether, you know, it's financially with a donation, which seems like, oh, like I, you know, is my, you know, $20 donation or whatever um, really going to make a difference. But that is definitely something that you can do and like elevating those, those groups that are working to, um, for environmental justice, um, you know, in those parts of the world, like in the Amazon right now, and just really, yeah, really amplifying them is something that you can do. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough, like, um, and it just seems to like certain times, like just to keep piling on. Um, Yeah, and then I just think also, like finding, finding the time and the like space and joy in your life with what makes you feel more connected to like our natural world or the people around you, uh, whatever that is like to like to do some of those things. Thank you so much. All right. Well, I think we're about to wrap this up. We are so, so happy that you joined us today and we got to learn more about you and Malia designs. I definitely need to go shopping at the golden rule for, <laughs> there <you go. laughs> for some of your products. I mean, I'm just going to fly to, to Cali just to go shopping. <laughs> Sounds perfect. <laughs> yeah, <it's official. laughs> um, but Lucia, where can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you on social media? Um, you personally, and of course, Malia designs. Yeah. Uh, we're, you know, our website is maliadesigns.com and then we're over, um, on Instagram at, um, Malia Designs Fair Trade and Twitter at Malia Designs and I think Facebook at Malia Designs as well. So yeah, definitely, um, definitely check us out over there. Um, follow follow along and yeah, I, I'm the do all the social media. So yeah, I give some good. <laughs> I say it's a little sporadic sometimes, but yeah, I try to give try to give some good content um, out there. So thanks. Awesome, thank you.
Here at the Philosophy Podcast, we recognize that we do not live in a bubble. We are all connected. There are people behind every product we shop for, and we can influence their lives when we vote with our dollar. If you like this episode, take a screenshot and share it on your social media. When you do, you'll be entered to win a giveaway that we will do live on Instagram once a month. Tag us and follow us at the Philosophy Podcast. Good luck.